Support for this Guardian podcast comes from Squarespace, the all-in-one platform that makes creating a professional website for your business, personal brand or portfolio so easy it's newsworthy. Go to squarespace.com and use the offer Guardian to get 10% off. The Guardian. Hello, this is Music Weekly. I'm Alexis Petridis. This week, Michael Hahn on why he believes in UFO, plus singles from Pender Street Steppers, The Horrors and Little Dragon, and of course, a light dusting of pop gossip, all here on Music Weekly from The Guardian. Kieran is away this week, uh, but I'm joined... By Ben Beaumont Thomas. Hello, Ben. Hello. And by Harry Gibson. Hello. Hello. How you doing? I'm very good. Um, news. What's in the news, people? Hot off the press. Well, yesterday, by the time this goes out. Um, Oasis uh, caused a bit of a furore this morning because uh, they uh, announced that they will be reissuing Definitely Maybe in May to mark their 20th anniversary. People thought, people may, I mean, it may happen, subsequent mm. to this podcast being recorded, we, we don't know. That Oasis were going to announce they were reforming, didn't they? Yeah, I mean, the website crashed. Everyone got incredibly excited for many, many hours. But, um, yeah, it was kind of a bit of a disappointment, really. I'm still holding out for, actually, like a Glastonbury-type thing. Potentially, you never know. Original lineup only. I want that guy that couldn't really play the drums. The drums. <laughs> <laughs> they were brilliant, though. I think, I, genuinely, uh, I believe that Oasis, the more musically competent Oasis got, the worse band they became. Yeah. And by the end, when it was all like, you know, Amazing musicians, well, not amazing music, but you know, whatever. I wasn't really interested. When the, the initial thing, when they had like a guitarist that that couldn't really play, played one kind of you know bar chord. When you had a bass player that just played the root note of everything, and you had this sort of Neanderthal guy yeah. on drums, I thought they, they were brilliant. He had passion and mm. uh, ferocity, even Absolutely. if it was slightly sort of drug addled. Yeah. But then it just got you... really serene and boring towards the end, didn't it? You want that from a rhythm section, no? that's a Cro Magnon like. Uh, Idiocy. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. The other thing I enjoyed about this uh, story, though, was um, the going actually onto Oasis' official um, like fan website, which looks <laughs> like it was made in like a GeoCities sort of <laughs> thing in, from 1995. It's, it's, is it really? It's, yeah. It is old school. Wow. Yeah. It's really unchanged. Yeah, Oasis. Yeah. Like, Oasis is, like Oasis' music. It's yeah. basically <laughs> frozen right. in time in 1994. Well, yeah. I like to think that the announcement didn't actually happen because uh, Bonehead's Wi-Fi wasn't working in his kitchen. He was just like, fuck. <laughs> I can't upload it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, well, I mean, we, 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 we shall watch and wait with some degree of... Interest. Um, I've got, uh, I have before me the winners of the NME uh, um, Awards, awards. <laughs> <laughs> um, which is sponsored by Austin, Texas, something, isn't it? Is that, is that right? Yeah, yes, it yeah. is. Peculiar. It's sponsored the by City the, of Austin, Texas. Yes. City of the Austin, city. Texas has supported the NME <laughs> wow. Awards, which is, which is sort of uh, amazing. Uh, the full winners list. Godlike Genius Blondie, uh, Songwriter, Songwriter, Paul McCartney, uh, Award for Innovation, Damon Alban, Bell and Sebastian, Outstanding Contribution to Music, Best British Band, Arctic Monkeys, Best International Band, Hame, Best Solo Artist, Lily Allen. <sighs> That's bizarre, isn't it? I'm trying to think who else. that much music? Two singles? Two yeah, singles? two, two Three. naff singles. Well, you know. Um, best New Band, Drenge. Tom Watson's favourite. Tom Watson's favourite. <laughs> best Live Band, Arctic Monkeys, Best Album, Arctic Monkeys, Best Track, White Noise by Disclosure. Interesting. Mm. Um, best music video supported by Domino's Pizza. <laughs> Eagles, Nerve Endings, Best Festival, Glastonbury, Breaking Bad, Made of Stone, Fat White Family have won something. Uh, blah, 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 blah. 
Musical moment of the year, Noel and Damon come together for the Teenage Cancer Trust. <laughs> that was special. <clears throat> Hero of the year, Alex. Villain of the year, Harry Styles. What would Harry Styles be your villain of the year? Sl- bit slutty. Yeah, but I mean, you know, there are worse <laughs> crimes in the world. I'm trying to think what sin he's committed. Yeah, there's merely a few spurned uh, women yeah. and, and possibly others. Uh, they block lit- voted? Littering Dalston. Yeah. <laughs> who, have, who have come together in a social media campaign. Um, who should they have given these awards to? I don't think I would have given outstanding contribution to music to Ben and Sebastian just yet. No. Uh, you know, it, I'm sure there's there's quite a few others in the annals of history that deserve it. But I guess, I guess. Um, I, don't, I don't really know. It's difficult to say. I don't, say, oh, I don't see the point of award ceremonies. Do you not? No. No, I don't. I really don't. I don't see what this tells you other than, you know, people who read and write for the enemy like the Arctic Monkeys, which is, you know not going to stop anybody else in their tracks well um, it's kind of I think for the enemy it's a bit of an artificial hook to generate um, excitement isn't it in the way yeah. that the, in the way that the Mercury is an artificial hook and, and even the Oscars is, is a way to get people going to the cinema and creating conversation yeah. um, it has you know a, a weight of cultural importance mm. that that has snowballed over many years that it kind of legitimises it. But at the end of the day, they're all the same sort of thing, which is Big kind of artificial. Yeah. Well, it's, it's to sort of generate... I don't know. I, there's too many award ceremonies, I think, that no one cares or remembers who wins them for the most part. No, I just I just don't see the, see the point. Now, more seriously, there's this gig, Ben, at the, uh, the bastion of urban music that is the Barbican in London, <laughs> right. uh, which featured a variety of... Um, uh, MCs, British MCs, JME, Big Nasty, people like that, and Omar Suleiman, mm-hmm. which has been cancelled on the say-so of the police. Indeed, yeah, the Barbican have said that they were, they have decided to shut it down because of public safety uh, concerns that were raised to them by the police. But you can read very, very clearly between the lines in some sort of 72-point bold text that is this is, you know, the City of London police leaning on a major um, cultural institution to effectively curate what they put out. You know, the Barbican is a bastion for uh, world music uh, and a, a huge variety of different styles uh, to suggest that um, suddenly the an influx of, of uh, grime artists from a part of London is going to suddenly sort of disrupt things mm. off the keel that, mm. that it's been on in a, in a seated venue in a very kind of, that, that instantly by its very architecture calms and, 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 oh, well, that's, and that's doesn't it. allow, yeah, yeah, yeah. you know, the kind of potential for violence that you might have mm. in a, a nightclub situation. I mean, it, it, the whole thing is absurd and at the very worst uh, you could say about it is institutional racism. It does seem very racist. I mean, I, the, I, the thing that strikes me about it that makes it seem bad is that if you have a night which features a bunch of grime artists that's on at the Barbican, are the kind of you know this audience, the Metropolitan Police, the, the sorry, City of London Police, not the Metropolitan Police, are clearly so terrified of turning up? Are they going to go to something at the Barbican anyway? Mm. I mean, surely they're just going to go to a rave or a, or a club or da da da. You know, surely all, you know, unless they're terrified of an influx of kind of balding white middle aged <laughs> wire readers, also, you know, what, what they're going to do, you know? Exactly, yeah. Yeah. There's, I, I liked uh, Joe Muggs, who's a um, journalist, who, who said, he was terrified about the yeah the influx of Mount Kimby uh, fans yes, going in. You know, like it, it's it's not like it's a 
a hot, like a, a purely hectic grime bill. It's, yeah, exactly. it's offsetting grime and, and showing uh, its influences and its resonances in other kinds of um, modern music. A hugely <laughs> valuable and interesting remit. You know, it's part of Just Jam, which is uh, an outreach program to cultural areas in more impoverished parts of London. You know, this is exactly the kind of event that uh, the Barbican uh, has always sort of championed. Mm. And, and for them to be saying, oh, we've had... It, had to to cancel it. It just it smacks of the tone of, of, of some the, very very heavy handed police. Yeah, certainly the tone of their uh, the press release the Barbican put out about it seemed pretty you know cross. I mean they didn't see mm. it, it was making no attempt to hide their you know they, they, they clearly thought this was not quite the ticket. Yeah, mm. um, maybe we should reverse it and get some artists playing Barbican to uh, rock up somewhere in my land. <laughs> That's right, yeah. We need London those radical Sinfonetta. interventions yeah, yeah, yeah. of the London <laughs> yeah. That'd be amazing. I mean, this is, it brings up a, a, a broader point. Um, I was unaware that the grime scene was still viewed uh, by the Metropolitan Police in the way that it was seven or eight years ago as this kind of hotbed of violence. And yeah. I mean, is this, is this kind of a part of an ongoing thing, Ben? You? It's definitely part of a, yeah, of a sort of wide narrative of using. Um, of shutting down grime raves. I mean, uh, that's been going on continually, for, has for, it? For many years, yeah. But you're right. I feel like the the genre has well has has diversified and has kind of started to suck up other things. And it's 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 hardly the the same beast it was in you know 2004 five or whenever it mm. sort of broke over. Yeah, it seems to be a, a kind of knee jerk reaction to the kind of monstrous idea of grime rather than anything that it, it resembles as a as a genre today, which is like cross cross disciplinary yeah. cl- uh, you know drawing in um in influences from trap and from uh, the US what they're basically well. saying let's not be about the bush we don't want lots of black people yeah. coming lots of young black people coming to the barbican yeah or to or indeed to the city of london or to the, yeah. Yeah, yeah, the, yeah. the city of london yes absolutely because this is a police force that is uh, uh it's not the london met it's a mm. separate private police force within the boundaries of the UK's financial capital. I mean, there's there's a clear message being sent of, of you don't belong here. That's terrible. Yeah. That's absolutely terrible. It's incredibly depressing. Coldplay have a new single out. <laughs> <laughs> Harriet, you, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to turn to you because you came on the podcast and you're a, a sort of a kamikaze wing... Coldplay fan who, who, who feels they, 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 they sold out with the release of, uh, well, when they started collaborating with Brian Eno, basically. That was the... Yeah, I mean, I wouldn't say selling out. It's more just, uh, I, I still buy their albums and I still will ever, for, 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 forever buy their albums. But, it's more <laughs> but per- with a sense of self loathing. <laughs> yeah, of disgust, mild disgust, uh, slight directing. And, uh, but no, I can, I can deal with what they're doing and I. I I don't want to ever seem like someone who doesn't like bands sort of moving on or adapting their styles, but I just purely don't enjoy how it sounds as much as I used to. I'm a bit of a purist when it comes to Coldplay, and I like them to play songs. And this uh, new song called Midnight, um, which they um, put onto their website yesterday, um, it's um, it's very vocally distorted, um, sort of Imogen Heap kind of, uh, or like Laurie... Um, I almost said Laurie Penny then. <laughs> <laughs> It'd Laurie be amazing Laurie... if it had Laurie Penny on it. <laughs> Laurie, Laurie Anderson. Like, like that Beyonce. Song with uh, Chimamanda yeah. goes to beach. It's like the the UK version of that. <laughs> oh dear! Amazing. Uh, no, uh, so 
it's it's very experimental for Coldplay, um, and the video comes back to this sort of weird Blair Witch thing where they're running around a forest and it's all heat censored, and uh, you can see a bit of Chris Martin's nipple at one point. Wow. Yeah, listen, yeah, it's daring. I'd listen to it. I mean, it's new. I don't know if the whole album will sound like that, but um, I, yeah, I'm, I'm slightly nervous. My take is, uh, you know, I, I actually prefer Latter Day Coldplay. I like their kind of, we you know, when they start marrying Griff Paltrow and and banging gigantic drums right. and dressing like French revolutionaries. That's 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 golden era Coldplay for me. Right, right. I'm, I'm that kind of Coldplay purist. <laughs> I want faded indie T-shirts. I want songs about looking at girls across rooms. Curly hair. Curly hair. Mm. Lots of that. Mm. Okay, okay. Well, there you go. Um, Let's move on. Time for Singles Club. Uh, Ben, let's start with your trap. Ben, that's your track, Pender Street Steppers, opening up. Indeed, yes. Tell us about the Pender Street Steppers. I don't really know who they are, uh, but I do know where they're from, which is from uh, Vancouver, which is um, not exactly the most fabled city in terms of uh, dance culture. It is not, no, no, Um, absolutely. uh, But it's an interesting new sort of scene around this label called Mood Hut, sort of new uh, endeavour. There's... um, People like Aquarian Foundation and yep. Cloudface and these rather kind of new agey sounding uh, names for rather sort of new agey sounding mm. dance music at times. Mm. Um, and apparently it's a reaction or, or there's a there's a thriving underground scene there because actually it's um, Vancouver has an incredibly stringent policy about live music and uh, and club venues. Apparently lots of places have been closed down in the oh. last couple of years and uh, okay. now has earned the nickname No Fun City. Hmm. So... Yeah, there's a you know it's one of those situations that perhaps disenfranchise the city to begin with, but then actually are the catalyst for for more creativity, such as kind of all of the freaks in New York being turfed out of Manhattan and a kind of subculture growing up in Brooklyn, which has obviously now gotten very much to a, a sort of mature phase. But yeah, it's it's interesting to see these sorts of um, cultures cropping up, and the music itself is very uh, based around sort of. It's very lo-fi analog house sound that you also hear in people like Joey Anderson or Lies, the record label in New York, yeah. and um, Anthony Parasolet and these sorts of New York house figures. There's a little bit of that, but then yeah, sort of even more rough and ready punkish quality to it. I really liked it. I thought it was good. It reminded me uh, the sort of vocal on it, the use of the vocal on it, uh, reminded me of like a really early sort of Chicago house track. I thought mm. that was kind of good. I thought it was interesting. I had no idea it was from Vancouver. Um, Harriet. Yeah, I liked it a lot. Um, it kind of uh, music like that just immediately makes me feel incredibly on edge and slightly inebriated. <laughs> it's just so evocative that kind of um, that kind of sound, and I like the fact that it was slightly lo-fi because I don't normally associate that sort of music being a little bit rough, rougher. But maybe I'm not an expert. No, it's intriguing. It's intriguing how many tropes of early house are sort of being whether that's deep house or old sort of Chicago house, or whatever, are being reused at the moment. I suspect as a sort of bulwark against EDM 
Yeah, mm. I also think it, 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 it rather than being a reactive force from sort of top down, I think it's also a kind of drawing from the background quite a lot of these people have in punk. Like there's a mm. really excellent label called White Material that um, is uh, used to be, well, the people who, who found the label used to be punks in Nova Scotia and then they sort of right. moved to New York and sort of discovered House or all that, all that happened around the same time. They're sort of, uh, as well as kind of, as you say, reacting against a rather glossy pan-European sort mm. of um, house sound. I think they're also, yeah, drawing from lo-fi rock music and the and the, the aesthetic of of all those wonderful bands from the last 30 years there you go Pender Street Seppers opening up is obviously around and about on the internet now let's move on to Harriet's track <laughs> Little Dragon and uh, Clap Clap. At risk of sounding like uh, something that your granddad would say, it's got a good beat. I mean, it's genuinely yeah, got yeah. a really good beat. It does something, the, the rhythm of that track does something I didn't expect it to do. Um, tell us uh, a bit about Little Dragon, Harriet, and tell us uh, about this. So they've been around for a while, Little Dragon. They're from Gothenburg. But um, this is uh, the first single from their new album, which is out in May. Mm. I think they've always had a kind of um, reputation for being fairly loungy or fairly kind of dinner party-esque perhaps if you're going to be negative about them but this album and in particular Clap Clap is a really uh, quite fun and uh, sort of vital and energising track for them Um, and they've always kind of done that really well live and I think um, possibly this album could be the one that makes people realise that they're not just a very kind of cosy jazzy band Um, but I absolutely adore it Um, and I think um, her vocals and the chorus are really free-falling it's kind of really it sounds like a beautiful sort of release in some way it's definitely also got that um, you said that from Gothenburg it's definitely got that kind of uh, Nordic pop element to it and I can never put my finger on what that is but you sort of know whenever you hear it Um, Ben did you like it? Yeah I did I think it's it has a a strong mood to it I guess I worry that Little Dragon like one of those bands that sort of have all the signifiers of being good and you're like uh, uh, all the sort of ingredients mm. are are of great quality and they there's something about them for me that doesn't always cohere into real earwormy melodies mm. um and they kind of sometimes just feel like one of those bands that you see at field day in the afternoon <laughs> at about 3 p.m and like they're trendy and they're good but i i can't fully sort of get them to change my life but yeah. That's I shouldn't expect every band to change my life. So that's <laughs> Do you probably, like that particular track? Uh yes, I do. Yeah. No, I think this is you're right, this is um it, it does feel like a, a band with uh renewed ambition and um a, there's something as you say, that's less cozy and in more sort of enjoyably brittle about the the rigidity of yeah. that constant beat. Um yeah, which is is yeah, really exciting. Good to beat, hear. that's what I said. <laughs> <laughs> Brilliant. That's the sort of uh, incisive comment that's made by Britain's top rock critic. Um, finally, let's move on to my track. Soon 
Uh, that's the horrors. I see you. The first uh, track to be released in the forthcoming album, Luminous. Um, I really like the horrors. <laughs> um, I I am sort of intrigued by the musical journey that they've kind of been on, which is not something you know. Not that many bands go on a sort of uh, uh, in some ways as radical a musical musical journey as the horrors have from their their first album uh, to now. That's released their fourth album. Um, I find it intriguing that they've sort of amped up the pop side of uh, of their preceding record which definitely has sort of good melodies on it but was was kind of a head it's a very druggy kind of head record i think it's got really <laughs> the last one had a good beat i think this one's got a good tune um <laughs> I, I think that the I, I like that kind of sort of like marauder-esque synth thing that they're doing in it i like the fact they haven't shied away from having a kind of a radio friendly chorus to it i like the fact they appear to being they appear to be progressing all the time. I just sort of, I just kind of wholeheartedly approve of the horrors, and I, I think that's a, a sort of. It makes me really interested to hear the rest of the album as well, because I want to know if it's all like that, or if this is like one track that is uh, more obviously of a pop bent um, than the rest of what's on there. Mm. Harriet. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm excited too. I thought uh, Still Life from Skying was just unbelievable, mm. and the rest of the album didn't quite match it, but I hope this one does. Um, I really love that song and I like the fact that it's slightly optimistic and a bit groovy which is quite um, well as you're talking about the radical change you would never have expected the horrors to ever kind of progress into that kind of almost um, joyous territory yeah I think think they take a lot of ecstasy I think that's what's (laughs) happening stop the acid (laughs) yeah 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 absolutely (laughs) Um, but no I think it's, it's got a very kind of uplifting kind of you know it's not so much lyrically still no but but I think that they're, yeah. that they're the one thing that sets them apart from other bands that they've been dumped in with and that they've lumped themselves in with, like Toy and, and so on, is mm. um, Farris, their singer, who is so excellent. And yeah. so he, he really reminds me of um, of like Jim Kerr from Simple Minds or, um, <laughs> or, or like Paddy McAloon or one of those sort of 80s big music singers okay. who, who sings like they're like on the edge of a cliff and sort of wistfully looking at... Uh, uh, you know, with the the breeze in their faces, and they're you know, it's it's oh. very kind of um, yeah, wistful, and and there's there's just a very wonderful modulation to his voice that you just don't hear in many people, and that and that lifts everything mm. to the next level. I, I think the thing that sets the horrors apart from the bands that have kind of they've, they've spawned, and I mean, I think it's, it's kind of an odd thing is the horrors have become quite an influential band, and you're now seeing sort of a group like Witches who mm. hail from Brighton, who sound like the early horrors. You know what I mean? It's a really <laughs> yeah. odd that yeah, it's definitely got that kind of like post birthday party thing going on. It's is that they are musically more broad, more adventurous. They have wider, they seem to have, well, I seem to have, I've interviewed them a couple of times, I know they have, much wider music taste mm. than, you know what I mean? I remember somebody said when the first Horrors album came out, and it's another journalist said this, and who'd interviewed them and went, yeah, it's not a very good record, but they've got such good record collections yeah. <laughs> that sooner or later they're going to make it, because you can't have all this sort of amazing music they were listening to, and not, eventually unless you completely hope it's not eventually make a good record and yeah i think it's kind of uh you know it will be sort of easy for them in a way to stay with that kind of moody psych thing that they they sort of minted a kraut rocky psych thing they minted on their second album um and they haven't at all and they've moved in a direction you know sort of that's 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 really different to that and as you say yeah clearly it's starting to the, the last album got sort of compared to 
80s kind of big big 80s rock I think they were a bit put out by that I got the impression <laughs> that it was, wasn't what they were listening to at all but um, but I think it's increasingly moving in that way I, yeah. like, I like that Farris is a proper front man visually mm, as well yes. like you, you you still really want to look at that man yeah like, absolutely yeah yeah. That, that's something you don't you don't really get that with Toy so much no um, I don't know which one of Toy is the front man the little one <laughs> <laughs> but he, I mean he's quite he's pretty beautiful but he just doesn't have that enormous presence like mm. Farris is a looming like weird gangly figure he just looks I don't yeah, know. Nick Cave, yeah, right. yeah, exactly. Well, three thumbs up for everything mm. uh, this week. That's amazing. That's the horrors I see you. Uh, that, of course, like everything else uh, in Singles Club is around and about on the internet. Now, it is quite possible that discovering more about the life and times of English heavy metal band UFO, formed in 1969, has not been high on your to-do list for a while. But in the next of our features with no name, Michael Han is here to tell you why we should celebrate these interstellar hard rockers. All right, let's get unfashionable. UFO might be the archetypal 70s hard rock band, both for their music and for their activities away from the stage. I interviewed Phil Mogg, their singer, not so long ago, and he told me stories of having to sign on just weeks after a run of sold-out shows at Hammersmith Odeon because their finances had been handled so badly. He talked about playing shows unable to move because he'd taken so many drugs. And he talked about the band's eccentric German guitarist, Michael Schenker, stealing a rabbit from neighbours to save it from being killed and eaten, only to then be shocked to find the rabbit crapping all over his floor. As for the music, UFO were one of those bands who skipped between styles, never really finding consistency, much like Thin Lizzy, with the result that they never really made it to the front rank. They started off as a space rock band. Their second album had a 26-minute song on it called Flying, which my school friend and I assumed must be one of the greatest songs ever because, wrongly, we equated length with quality. We were only 13, forgive us. Their golden period was the five years with Schenker from 1973 to 1978, which yielded virtually all their best-known songs. Schenker was an intensely melodic hard rock guitarist with a knack for both memorable solos and riffs that were almost poppy. He wasn't metal in the conventional sense. And when he hit the spot, he hit it perfectly. Dr. Doctor, from 1974's album Phenomenon, showcased his perfect riff, bending the notes on his flying V to create something both unusual and familiar. It manages to sound jagged and mellifluous at the same time. It doesn't matter that the song itself is workaday boogie. It's all about that incredible piece of guitar phrasing. Not for nothing have Iron Maiden been using that song as their intro tape for years.
After Schenker left, UFO lost direction. But there are gems in their early 80s catalogue too. Mock told me he didn't have much time for the glam metal that became huge in that decade as UFO's star waned. Even though they themselves were experimenting with a poppier approach, saxophone, that least metal of instruments, started popping up on their recordings. On Lonely Heart, with its lambent piano and, yes, sax, with Morg aiming for storytelling in his lyrics, you get the sense they're aiming for something Springsteen-esque. If Springsteen had been a hard rocker from suburban North London. They don't quite get there, but it's a pretty terrific little song. Commercial fortunes took a long, slow dive through the 80s, but UFO soldiered on, touring and releasing albums. I finally saw them for the first time a couple of years ago, accompanied by a clearly baffled Bob Stanley of Saint-Étienne. I was on a mission to take Bob to see hard rock bands at the time. The forum in North London was far from full. The stage set looked like it would cost a tenner to put together. It didn't have quite the excitement of Strangers in the Night, the double live album I loved when I was a teenager. But there they were, still working, still playing. And can a musician really ask for anything more? That was Michael Hahn putting in a good word for UFO. And that's it for this week. My thanks to Harriet. Thank you, Harriet. Thank you. And to Ben. Thank you, Ben. Tell us your thoughts at theguardian.com forward slash musicweekly, where you will also find links to the singles club tracks. See you next week. Ta-ra. Support for this Guardian podcast comes from Squarespace, providing creative tools that help you bring your ideas to life. Squarespace offers free domain names, customizable designs, drag and drop tools, and 24-7 supports. Squarespace also offers seamless e-commerce solutions for you or your small business. Every design automatically includes a unique mobile experience that matches the overall style of your website, so your content will look brilliant on any device. Start your free trial today. No credit card required. As a Guardian podcast listener, you'll get 10% off your new account by using the offer code GUARDIAN.